reading from Ephesians in the New Living Testament. This is all about spirit-guided relationships. So it's 5.21. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is head of the church. He is the saviour of his body and the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault in the same way Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. And we are... (coughs) Sorry. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother to and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one and this is a great mystery but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one so again I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband children obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do honor your father and mother This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honour your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. So ends the reading of God's word. Morning, church. When uh, Dan was relating that he came to speak, he uh, talked about the fact that he was the last man standing, that he didn't have a choice of passage. And uh, my situation is actually quite different. Um, I uh, was told about Ephesians, and Luke asked if a number of us would speak parts of Ephesians, and I enthusiastically put my hand up for this passage. Um, as we got closer to the time when I was going to to present today, I kept asking myself, why did I choose this passage? And it's very controversial, has lots of interesting elements to it, and there's much that can be said about this passage. Uh, some of the controversy 
won't be addressed today. I'm not going to cover everything. But I believe that what we look at today is part of the significant message of this passage. And I certainly pray and hope that it's going to be a blessing and use to you in your walk. I think the cultural context of the Bible is always very important. Um, it's very useful for us to understand the culture in which Paul and the other writers of the Gospels and the, and the Bible as a whole, um, the culture that they were speaking to when they wrote and when these passages were read to the church. Uh, just as a little bit of a background, the, the world of the Mediterranean in which Paul's mission was in which the church was growing at that time was very hierarchical. There were lots of different layers of hierarchy within that society and it was very paternalistic. Uh, men really had control and power in most institutions and most elements of that society. So it's important for us to know this as we hear what that church was hearing on that day so that when we come to look at how we apply it to our lives, we can translate it in a sense, um, apply it to how we live and where we live uh, the way that Paul speaks in this passage follows a model which is quite uh, familiar in that day and that is the model of the household codes. So there are a number of other writers and speakers at that time that had already created household codes for as really sort of their opinions about how uh, society should be organised, particularly within the home. So other people had already spoken to how uh, wives and husbands would relate, how children and fathers would relate and how slaves and masters would relate which is what we're going to look at today because they were the, part, the different components of the household in that day. So I like to imagine uh, and I think it helps us to imagine us being in that situation so that we can put ourselves there, hear what they heard and then understand what it means to us. So if you imagine you're in a church in Ephesus or in one of the other churches that this letter was likely distributed to and you're listening to a letter from Paul and Paul is this beloved apostle. He's, as one of our previous speakers had pointed out, he, Paul had spent some time in Ephesus teaching and evangelising and growing and building the church. And now you're a member of this congregation or one of the related congregations and you're hearing from our, your brother Paul in a letter. And someone's reading it to the church, because that's typically how this was delivered. And you're sitting and listening and wanting to hear what he has to say about his church and what Christ has done in the church. And we've heard a number of elements of what this book, has, this letter has spoken to the church. And I've really appreciated what the others have come and shared with us here. So you're sitting and listening to these letters and I'd like to imagine that you're in the place that those people were and that you have one or maybe many of the roles that we're going to hear about that Paul was speaking to about how God's kingdom and Christ's work and the Holy Spirit working in us is going to come out and be uh, lived out in the roles that you have. And we can align ourselves with some of these roles even though our culture and our world is quite different now. So if we look at wives and husbands. As a wife, what Paul has asked you to do to submit to your husband is not too different from what 
all the other different cultural contexts held those days. The three major cultural groups that we could talk about, Judaism or the Jewish culture, the, the Greek culture of the Eastern Mediterranean, which is where Ephesus was, or the Roman culture, which was dominant because the Romans ruled everything. All of those cultures believed in wives submitting to husbands to different degrees and in different flavours, but it was always very much the husband was the, the head of the home. So when a wife, as a wife, if you're hearing Paul's words here, you may think, this is not too different from what I'm already expected. This is the cultural norm. However, I think that we see in here a new motivation for performing this role, that we now see Paul drawing a parallel between a wife and her husband and the church and Christ. And certainly the church and Christ is a positive model for a relationship between two people, even if one is the head and one is in submission. Christ's act towards the church was loving and Paul emphasises how much Christ was loving towards the church. And this should be, I believe this was a, a much more positive or a, a guaranteed positive of the role that a wife would have towards a husband in that culture of where there was no choice but submission. So in a sense, Christ was providing her with a, a positive, or Jesus, or Paul speaking of Christ, was providing wives with a positive model for their motivation to acting towards their husband in the situation in which their culture placed them. As a husband listening to this, it would be very easy and tempting to say, oh good, Paul is reinforcing the status quo. I feel comfortable with this. This is normal. And that's how I believe many people would initially hear this. And what Paul was saying was not, in, on the first face of it, very different from what others had already said and what was assumed to be the norm in that culture. But I believe, again, once again, that even more so as Paul speaks to the person who has authority and more power in that situation, that he's speaking a more... I guess there's more, more revolutionary about the gospel in this situation though I think it's, it, it uh, changes and defines both roles, there's something quite dramatic, even though on the face of it, it's supported the norm. So Paul now emphasises the responsibility of husbands to love. And this was not as greatly emphasised in that culture. So this was quite radical from the cultural perspective that was held then. So rather than just emphasise that the husbands had authority and that the wives should be obedient, Paul challenges husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, laying down, his, laying down their lives, laid down his life for the church. And this is a radical change. This is a kingdom emphasis. And this would have been a challenge to the culture of that day and the perspective of that day. And I think it is, I think, without doubt, a challenge to us today for those of us who have been or are in or will be in a marriage relationship to think about how we choose to relate to our spouse. When we come to children and fathers, it's harder to find as much in here that is as radical, but I think you can still see that the kingdom 
and the gospel is in this passage in the way Paul is instructing people. It's not so different from the cultural norms for children to obey their fathers. It was fairly normal. And if you were a child sitting in this congregation hearing this, it is probably something the same as what you would have been told from your parents and from other people in your culture as the norm. You may have bristled against it a little bit if you had that personality, as children do today when they're told to obey their parents. But Paul provides encouragement in the form of a biblical promise or reward. So he reaches into Judaism and the Old Testament and the law and reminds people, many of these people who have come to Christ from being Gentiles, and reminds them that there is a reward for children that obey and honour their parents. And so Paul is still bringing a, a new slant, a new element to this encouragement to follow this behaviour or this, this attitude. As a father, listening to this message, once again, it would seem like initially that Paul was reinforcing the cultural norms but again, he's focusing on a transformation. He brings a transformation of how that role is to be conducted. He challenges fathers not to provoke or exasperate children. And it's interesting that he speaks to fathers here. And that's partly the cultural context in that after a certain age, fathers were uh, largely responsible for the disciplining and upbringing of children. Again, the bias is probably there between fathers disciplining upbringing sons, whereas daughters would have been raised more by the mothers to, to take their roles that were culturally defined. But I think it's also important that the fathers had authority, and so Paul once again is addressing those who have authority and power in this situation to be transformed by the gospel and by the kingdom. So Paul challenges fathers not to provoke or exasperate children. And it's difficult to understand exactly what this phrase refers to. But I do believe that it's very easy for fathers to exasperate children, particularly when fathers exercise or, or attempt to exercise uh, too much of their power for the sake of being in control for themselves. And I certainly know that as a father, my children are adults now, but I had a difficult lesson to learn that the, any authority that I sought to exert should not be for the sake of me wanting to be in control, but rather it was for the purpose of uh, raising my children so that they understand uh, who they are, particularly that they are loved, and that was the more important approach for me to take as a parent than it was for me to keep in control. And I think Paul is challenging fathers who once again culturally had that position of power and control. He's challenging them to use it for the purpose of raising the children up in the ways of the Lord rather than exercising control for their own sake. As slaves and masters, again, as a slave, being part of the household and likely being part of the church, listening to this message being read, what is being said is very much defined for you as normal. You 
are expected to obey your master. And indeed, there were lots of rules and lots of consequences if you didn't. So that part is not particularly new by the culture. And if you listen to this, you probably thought, okay, that's the norm. But again, Paul speaks a transformative message of what it means in the gospel and in the kingdom to live as a slave in that situation. And that the obedience and that the work you're doing is not for the sake of just so you please that master while he's looking at you, but even when he's not looking or when they are not looking, you're working to bless them essentially. Paul doesn't use that word, but the sentiment is there. You're working to bless them as an agent of God's kingdom. And that even in this role, which could be defined as, uh, as a broken role, and I don't think this is a Paul supporting slavery, but even if, you fa- if they found themselves in that role, Paul had a message for how they could live out the gospel in that role and towards their masters. <coughs> Excuse me. And as a master... Again, listening to this, you would think, good, Paul is speaking about the values and the, the uh, systems that keep our society together. Because slavery was very much a normal part of the culture of that time. I read a, re- a very useful analogy recently. As we read this passage about slavery, and it's confronting to us because we, we shun slavery and now we believe it's in the past, although obviously, as we've addressed in this church, uh, there are issues of slavery in the world that need to be confronted. But within our media culture, we, we at least feel distant from slavery and we feel it's wrong. <coughs> but for us to understand their situation of people listening to this message, the analogy I heard recently was that to ima- for Paul to imagine a world without slavery would be similar to us to imagine a world without electricity. If we were to take away electricity in our culture everything would change dramatically and really in some ways society would fall apart uh, functionally I guess Um, and slavery was very much about part of the economy of that world so Paul was not speaking to try and tear down slavery or create a revolution but the way he was speaking to the slaves and masters in this situation was revolutionary it was going to transform the nature of that relationship between those people and those roles. So the kingdom was still coming and the king was coming through these words and through his church, but in ways that are different from somehow we imagine uh, a major transformation coming into culture. So as the masters listen to this message and they initially hear that slaves are to obey their masters and they think this is very good and slaves to work well and diligent even when the master is not looking, they would be tempted to think, yes, this is good and this is how it should be. But then Paul challenges them with this amazing short phrase, do the same to them. So as slaves have been encouraged to work to bless their masters for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of being followers of Christ, so masters are encouraged to do the same for slaves. And once again, this part is revolutionary. This is a change so different from what that culture would normally consider the appropriate relationship between slaves and masters. A master now is challenged to do the same, have the same attitude towards his slaves as the slaves were encouraged to have towards the master. 
It was unheard of in that culture that a master might serve their servants. But Paul was, in essence, challenging masters to have this attitude towards their servants. I think one of the applications we can apply for these sort of relationships is to translate slave and masters as into employees and employers or as um, whatever the role is, particularly towards a manager and a manager's attitude towards those whom they manage. And I think there's great value in this because, once again, in our world we can uh, have the inclination to work just because we have to, because that's how we're going to get our pay to do the things we really want to do in life. Um, although it's great if people can find a role that allows them to work for something they love doing. There's always going to be a place where we have to do in a role what we have to do, what's just expected of us. And there's always a place where a manager can be tempted to treat people who report to them as just people who need to do what they're told. But once again, Paul challenges, and I think there's real value for us in our desire to live out the gospel as to how we regard our roles in our workplace. And I had the opportunity to learn this, sometimes the hard way, in particularly one of my past roles I had, in that I, the Lord very carefully and patiently worked me through to see that the place I worked was a mission field. Um, and that for the way he was using me, the way he calls me and the way he created me was not so much an overt evangelism, though there is a place for that and some people are more gifted and led to that. Um, but in my role, it was just how I treated my colleagues and that I saw my relationships between them as very much uh, the, gos the gospel relationship, the relationship that Christ has called me to serve another person. And I had a role as a manager, and as a manager, I was challenged to regard the people that reported to me, not as people that I needed to get things done to make me look good or to achieve the goals that... I was aiming to achieve in that role, but as people that I was there to bless as a follower of Christ. And this was opportunity, and I, I got to cherish that opportunity that I had to bless, be a blessing to people in the workplace and to see the gospel lived out there and to even be used uh, of Christ as a witness. Um, there's plenty that I would have done wrong in that role, but God's not limited by that. And he provided opportunities to be a witness in that situation. And I think when Paul challenges us as uh, employees or employers or managers or reports, as we call these days, um, to live our roles in a way that is about our gospel witness and about a testimony of what Christ is doing in us and what Christ has done in, in us as part of his church. I think much of the messages that have come before from Ephesians have been very useful and supportive in this. I liked the emphasis on be different or live different. Uh, and I remember Greg's before, during, after, I think it was, or a, a model of transformation like that. And I think this passage and these messages must be kept in that context. So to summarise, 
The resolution, sorry, did I? This is the revolution that is the kingdom of God reinvading the earth, reinvading his creation. I love to think of, uh, I love to see the emphasis of kingdom in the Gospels and in the works of Paul and the other writers. I think it's useful for us to remember that God's kingdom isn't a distant place. It is his reign over people and his creation that he re-established through Christ. And we, can, we get to participate in that. So my summary, as we've been asked to summarise our message, comes directly from verse 521. This is in the NIV. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we are challenged by Paul in all our relationships to submit ourselves to each other out of reverence for Christ. He's laid down so much of what Christ has done for the church and he's celebrated what Christ is doing and he's provided a, in writing the first part of Ephesians, he's provided a model of what Christ is doing in the church and what that means. And in this passage, in this therefore scenario, or scenarios, he's provided a model for us as to how we are to live out that membership of the kingdom in our relationship to each other. So this might be a short message this morning, but I encourage you to consider this passage and read it yourselves in your time and to prayerfully consider how you can submit yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thank you.